0: In uh, 3 John, the second verse, just 3 John is one chapter, the third epistle of John, and the second verse, he said, Beloved, I wish, other translations say I pray or I desire, above all things that you may prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers, Is it God's will for us to prosper materially and financially? Is it God's will for us to be in health physically, mentally, and emotionally? Obviously, it's God's will for our soul to prosper, but they are connected, the inner and the outer. There has been traditions of men that have been passed down through successive generations of the church that are now making the word of God of no effect. And there are a lot of people who say that, you know, God is opposed to you having anything nice. They're especially opposed to churches or ministers having anything nice or expensive. But the truth is, if it's wrong for the church to have something nice or expensive or the pastors, it's wrong for you to have anything nice and expensive. Now there's a lot of people, they scoff at that and they go, ah, I, don't, I never claimed to be a preacher. What does it have to do with being a preacher? Now, you know, I guess about a thousand years ago, organized church decided that preachers should not marry, many of them, nor should they have any money. And Timothy calls this a doctrine of devils. It does. And so you you got to watch about tradition shaping your thinking that is contrary to the word of God. And you need to understand now, if you think it's wrong, For a minister or a church to have anything nice or expensive, then it's also wrong for you to have anything nice or expensive. God's God. If he doesn't like it, he doesn't like it. Right? (laughs) Whether it's you or whether it's me. And if, uh, if, if he doesn't like it, well, let's quit playing around with it and get rid of everything and let's please him. And it's mighty convenient for you to have strong feelings about what churches and preachers should do when you have no intention of ever practicing it yourself. Mighty convenient. No, the truth is, God is a good daddy. And he's a rich daddy. Forget billionaire. Trillionaire. He creates planets. And he's your daddy. Well, if you've got a daddy that rich, how come you can't do okay? In the Psalms 35, we saw this, Psalm 35, 27. It said, let them shout for joy. Psalm 35, 27. Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually Let the Lord be magnified, which has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Is it true that God actually takes pleasure in us prospering? Well, if he didn't, he'd be out of sync and out of keeping with every other good father or mother. You know, fathers and mothers don't want to see their children broke and hungry No good place to live, no good things to eat and wear. That'd be out. God would be. How do we understand Him being a father if He's pleased with us in poverty? Poverty is evil, whether it's a little bit of it or a lot of it. It's the same evil stuff, just different degrees. There are people on the planet today who will starve to death for lack of. Of a decent meal to eat. That's poverty. It's evil. How many would agree? Come on, don't. You don't need to be on the fence about this. You need to hate what God hates and love what He loves. He hates things that hurt people. Poverty hurts people. You ought to hate it. Sickness and disease hurts people. You ought to hate it. These things are not from God. They're contrary to his will. They don't please him. Enough of poverty will starve you to death. Well, not having enough to make your uh, rent payment or our house payment. That's the same evil stuff, just a lesser degree of it. Come on, can you see that? It's lack. And poverty is not the will of God. God is a God of abundance. Is he or not? Jesus said the thief comes not. But for to steal, kill, and destroy. But I am come. Why did you come, Jesus? He's telling us, I came that you might have life and that you might have it in abundance. The Amplified says, that you might have and enjoy life, that you might have it to the full until it overflows. Is he the good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, full table, cup running over? Did he give Abraham too many goats and too many sheep? Did he give the disciples a net breaking, ship sinking catch? Is is that who he is? Has he always been that way? Then don't come trying to tell me that God wants me broke. It's a free country. If you want to believe that, you can. But don't try to force your unscriptural beliefs off on me. I ain't taking them. I'm not going to receive it. And comply with something that you don't even try to live by. (laughs) We need to get free and the truth will make you free. Somebody say, thank you, Lord, for the truth. Thank you, Lord, for the truth. Look with me. Go with me to 1 Timothy 6. Now, we mentioned, I believe, two big things the Lord's doing for us right now. In the faith life churches, and everybody that's joined with us, He is preparing us, and if we'll cooperate with Him, qualifying us for more. A lot more. Much more. In order for the Lord to add to you the way He wants to, two big things have to happen. One, you must believe. It is his will. and That's why the enemy fights this so hard. Because if you you don't believe it's God's will for you to be healed, for instance, you can't have faith to receive a healing. If you're questioning his will at all, you cannot have faith to receive a healing. Same thing is true with finances. If If you're questioning the will of God, that it might not be his will, for you to have plenty or have something nice. You can't have faith for it. Faith is based on the revealed and known will of God. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the anointed word. So we must get rid of the tradition that chokes and become not not just tolerant of it, become convinced, fully persuaded God takes pleasure in my prosperity. Amen. And it's not just you know. Nobody said you had to keep it all. Yeah. Right. It's about being a blessing. Yeah. Right. The more you have the more you can do. Yeah. The more you have more you can give. Amen. So number one. This is going on. And you have heard me and I, I keep going over it again. In the beginning of every one of these. Times that we have. But then secondly. In order for the Lord. To add these things to you. You have to overcome covetousness. Covetousness. And don't think this only applies to a few greedy people somewhere that we don't really know who they are. But we know they're out there. (laughs) You've had issues with covetousness. I've had everybody. Don't look at me and shake your head. Everybody has had issues with covetousness. It's a very big deal. And in order for you to uh, overcome it, you first have to identify it and acknowledge it. Realize what's happening in your own life. In 1 Timothy 6, are you there? 1 Timothy 6, this whole chapter deals with these things. And uh, beginning about verse uh, 5 he talked about individuals who supposed that gain is godliness or that gain shows godliness or that godliness is a means you know to material gain from such withdraw yourself there've been people in our circles That have gone too far. And implied. If you don't have a bunch of money. And a bunch of stuff. Then you're just not. Very spiritual. And you don't have much faith. And that's implying. That gain. Shows godliness. That is not true. We shouldn't fellowship with that. Is everybody awake? It's not true. For one thing, we don't know how you got that stuff. Right? Right? I mean, you could have lied, stole. We don't know. Just because somebody has a bunch of stuff, that does not indicate godliness or faith. But he goes on to say in verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Can you see there's a play on the words gain and godliness? So, we, we saw this in Hebrews last time, and you'll see it in other places. How can I identify covetousness in my own life? Because Jesus warned us about it. He said in Luke, he said, take heed, watch out, beware of covetousness. Because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things which he possesses. We talked last week about it, that you know, inside of us, for lack of a better phrase is a God-sized (laughs) hole that's only filled by God, and only God is God-sized. You can't fill a God-sized hole with a car, or a house, or clothes, or jewelry. Won't do it. Can't do it. There's not enough money in the world to make you happy. That's a lie. There's not enough stuff. People think, a lot of folks that don't have it, they imagine if I had it, I'd be fulfilled. I'd be happy. No, you, once you got it, there'd be something else to look for, right? And the numbers can always get bigger, and now somebody's always got something else. But the thing is, the eyes of man are never satisfied. You're always chasing after something that cannot give you what you want. Contentment. Contentment. True inner contentment. Only God can give you. Only faith in Him and an unrestricted, lim- unlimited relationship with Him is the only way you get that. He gives the peace that passes understanding, that keeps your heart and mind. He gives you the joy. That is your strength. You can't buy that. You can't find it in a pill. You can't find it in a bottle. Doesn't exist outside of your creator. Hallelujah. But that also means you don't have to get another dollar to be completely content on the inside right now. Some folks didn't hear that. You you don't have to get that house, you don't have to get the car, you don't have to get the promotion, you don't have to get the more money, you don't have to retire, Uh, you don't have to do anything else to postpone until you get that. You can be completely fulfilled inside, right now, in him. And then and only then are you what you should be to other people. Elsewise, you're going to always be pulling on them. Do not pull on other people to complete you and fulfill you. That's being a drag, (laughs) literally. (laughs) You are complete. Anybody know your scripture? Come on, You, you are complete in him. That means you don't need anybody else to complete you. Moving right along. He said godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world. And it is certain we can carry nothing out. So anything that might come across or come through our hands or under our control or in our possession is only useful for a little while. There is no such thing as permanent material ownership. You didn't bring anything in. You're not taking anything out. is only useful to be used to accomplish something for a little while. Everything down here is very, very temporary. Verse 8, having food and, and, and clothes, let us be there with content. You see, he keeps mentioning this word content. If you're not content, that reveals covetousness. And, and lack of peace. Verse 9, they that will be rich, other translations say, those who are determined to be, they are set on it. One says, those that crave to be rich. Your ultimate goal in life should not be to become rich, your ultimate goal should be to find and fill the purpose you were born for, right? Which is to please God. Find and fill his plan for your life. You know, I mentioned it before that parents sometimes wrongly tell children, their daughter, their son, son, you know, you're smart, you're beautiful, you're handsome, you can be anything you want to be. You can do anything you want to do when you grow up. If they're going to be a real Christian, that is not true. If you're a real Christian, and Jesus is your Lord, that's already been decided for you. God has a plan. Whether you accept it or find it or not, He has a plan for you. It's not for you to decide what you want to be and do. It's for you to discover what He's already ordained and called you to be and do and then to give yourself fully to it. Right? Commit to it so that you run your race and finish your course before you get out of here. He said those that crave to be rich they fall into temptation and snare and many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. One reason the Lord tells us not to be covetous is because it'll destroy you and you'll be miserable while it's destroying you. I mean up until then craving something that you don't have longing for something, wanting something Being unfulfilled, being miserable. It drowns men in destruction and perdition. Verse 10 For the love of money is the root of all evil. Actually, other people sometimes emphasize the root, but I don't think, in my study, I don't see the article being there. Another one says, The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is a root of of all manners of evil. What is? Now you'll hear people misquote this verse many times and say money is the root of all evils. The Bible never said that. You can love money and not have any. Well, if that's true, then you could have a bunch of it and not love it. The money's not the issue. You can do bad things with money. You can do good things with money. The more money you got, the more bad you could do or the more good you could do. It's up to you. Money is just a currency. It's a medium of exchange. It's it's an ability in this world. The money in itself, in fact, I won't take time to go into all the detail, but in the book of Genesis, God created everything. He told them that in one particular part, he said there's gold. And God told him, he said that gold is good. What? Gold is good. Money is supposed to be based on silver and gold. Is gold good? God said it was. What's the problem? Come on, help me out. It's not the money. It's not the stuff. What is it? It's the love of it. The covetousness. The love of it. And again, if we're going to qualify for the Lord to add to us what He wants to, we have to overcome this in our own lives. Are you believing the Lord to help us and teach you and show you? Say it again Father God, Father God. I reject covetousness. I, reject covetousness. I, don't I don't want to be that way. I choose not to be. I not to be. Open my eyes. Reveal to, me reveal to me what covetousness is, what covetousness is. In, my own life in my own life and give me grace, give me grace. to overcome it to overcome. and be completely free from it. Free from Amen. In Jesus, in Jesus' name. Then if you'll do that, if we do that, then he can add much more to us. It won't hurt us. He can't add things to you that will take you away from him. Or that you care more about than you do him. He can't do that. It'll hurt you. But he he needs people he can use. He needs conduits. He needs people that'll be rivers, not reservoirs. He said, the love of money is the root of all evils, which while some have coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, man of God, flee these things. Go back with me in the Old Testament to 1 Kings, 21st chapter, 1 Kings 21, and I want us to look at what I I consider to be a, a really detailed illustration of covetousness. 1 Kings 21. I'll read through it, and then we'll back up and look at it uh, verse by verse. This, as I said, is a picture of covetousness. We just prayed a prayer, and the Lord's going to show us what covetousness is. Why do we need to know? Why do we care? Because if we don't get over this, we don't qualify to handle significant kingdom resources. Hallelujah. I know years ago, one of the first large offerings that ever came in that I was involved in. After the service, I was was humbled. I was touched by how the people gave. And uh, I was the one that that talked about the offering and, and, and received it. And the Lord spoke to me. It was a solemn thing. He said, uh, don't yourself or allow anybody else to abuse the favor of receiving the offering. It's a holy thing to him. Y'all understand what I'm talking about? It's a holy thing to him. And when people give with all their hearts and when they sacrifice because they love God and they want to see the kingdom things accomplished, it's holy to Him, holy to Him. And uh, and I saw if I, Phyllis and I and our staff and the ministries, if we will continue to treat these things right and do what He says with everything, it'll increase. And it it keeps getting bigger, it keeps getting bigger, it keeps getting bigger. But how many understand, the moment you stop treating it right, that's going to stop. The moment you you don't see it right or don't treat it right, uh, or or you think too much of the money or the stuff, do you want to be able to handle more? Do you want more kingdom resources to flow through your hands and your life? Well, then you should be very interested in what we're talking about right now. You have to overcome covetousness to qualify. And a lot of people would say, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, I don't even really care about money. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. The way you can tell is how upset people get over money. That shows how much they love it. How upset they get over it. Well, it's quiet in here, isn't it? 1 Kings 21. Are you there? I just said all that to reiterate. If we're going to handle more, there's this thing we got to overcome. Covetousness. In your life, my life. It said, verse 1, It came to pass after these days that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab spoke to Naboth. Now Ahab was the king. He said, give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it's near to my house. I'll give you for it a better vineyard than it, or if it seem good to you, I'll give you the worth of it in money. Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. Now, this wasn't just something that Naboth said off the cuff. Literally, the Lord had forbidden this. In Leviticus 25, don't turn there, but Leviticus 25:23, the Lord said, The land shall not be sold Forever. Numbers 36, 7 says, The inheritance of the children will not remove from tribe to tribe. Every one of the children of Israel should keep to himself the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. In Ezekiel 46, 18, it even said this. Specific situation we're looking at. The prince shall not take of the people's inheritance by oppression to thrust them out of their possession, but he'll give his son's inheritance out of his own possession. That my people be not scattered every man from his possession. You remember when they came into the promised land. God gave instruction to Joshua. About which tribes were to live in which places. The Lord said you don't sell that. That is to go to your children. And their children's children after them. It's not even if some way or another. It got out of the hands of the owners of the tribe. The year of Jubilee, it was supposed to go back. No matter what had happened. So when Naboth is telling Ahab, I, I can't. I can't sell it to you. The Lord said we can't. Literally, he, he's just quoting scripture. I can't, the Lord said don't do it. I can't do it. Now notice what happened. It's in verse 4, Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased. Now, if you look up that word, it means uh, sullen or sulking or pouting because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down on his bed and turned his face and would eat no bread. <laughs> what are we looking at here? <laughs> yeah, pouting, but what else? Is this covetousness? Is this what it looks like? What it acts like? Yeah, this is a perfect illustration of covetousness. And what did the Bible say in First Timothy? The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, you're about to see all kinds of evil follow over Ahab's covetousness. Phyllis and I were talking about this recently, though not this passage, but how we have seen people get out of the will of God over. Disappointment and dejection and depression over something they assumed was going to happen. This is a trick of the enemy. Ahab assumed. To him it was a foregone conclusion that he's getting this property from Naboth. Foregone conclusion. This is going to happen. In fact, he's already planning what he's going to plant. right? And he was shocked when Naboth told him no. He was shocked, he was hurt. He was upset. He lost his appetite. He went home, laid down. He got mad. And pouted. Why? Why? Naboth had not told him he would sell it to him. The Lord didn't tell him he was going to get it. Come on, can you see this? A presumption. An assumption. We've seen it in ministry. Not just in ministry, but it, it's, it's all over. People decide they're going to give me that place. They're going to give me that promotion. I'm going to have access to them personally. We're going to be buds. <laughs> I had somebody who was fussing at me the other day. Well, I don't, I don't know. You never spend any time. Uh, we, we don't talk. We don't chat. With them. I said, look, man, it's been three weeks since I've seen my wife right I'm out on the road I'm traveling well I want you to do this I don't do what I want to do why would I do what you want me to do but people get their feelings hurt right well they should this or they should that and go lay down and and cry and hurt and, and pout This is not okay. This is evil. Now see, people don't think so. They think, well, bless their hearts. Bless their hearts. (laughs) We're going to see that in just a minute. How evil it really is. How you respond to an unexpected no will reveal a lot about you. How you respond to an unexpected no <laughs> will do what? It'll reveal maybe more than you want it to. It will reveal a lot about you. Well, of course this was going to happen. Everybody knew. How do you know everybody knew? See that? Assuming, assuming. Assuming, presuming, it's prideful, it's arrogant, it's haughty. Come on, can you see this? And the truth is, you don't deserve these things. No. No, you don't. If it's by grace, you don't deserve it. If you deserve it, it's not by grace. And if you think somebody owes you something, you have now made it impossible for them to be gracious to you. Because no matter what they might do now, you're not even thankful. You think it's owed to you. And nothing, nothing, no thing comes to us from God except by grace. That means you don't deserve it. It's not owed to you. So the moment you hear whether it's you or somebody else, well, I, I deserved that. I should you know you're wrong. Amen. Scripturally, you're wrong. Your heart's wrong. And that's what when that's what happened to Naboth. And, and excuse me, Ahab. To him, it's a foregone conclusion. This is happening. He's already—I don't know—he may have already hired some people for to do some planning. You know, I mean, it's going to be a garden of herbs, and it's going here. It joins my property. Everybody knows it should be mine anyway. Joins my property, and and, and he's not doing anything with it. You know and and I'm the king. I'm going to make this thing happen, you know? Do, so and and I was completely reasonable and gracious with him. I'll give him a better vineyard. Or he wants money, I'll pay him top dollar. But Naboth says, no. And King Ahab's world came crashing down. <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> How do you do when you hear no? <laughs> huh? How do you handle it? How many know you got to watch about planning where the furniture is going? And they haven't even accepted your offer yet. You got you to watch. What's that called? Counting your chickens, chickens before your eggs. Hatch or whatever it is. What did I say? Did I say it right? You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) It's getting ahead of yourself, right? It's getting, getting way ahead of yourself. Assuming, presuming, being unthankful. We've seen people more than once in business, in ministry, They assumed, I'm going to get that promotion. I'm going to get that place. But it wasn't the plan of God for them to have that place. Nobody ever told them they were going to have that place. But they were dejected and mad and upset when it didn't happen. But they just built it up in their head that it was going to happen based on nothing. But you get to thinking about something long enough and you decide, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's happening, oh yeah, then you plan on it like it's said. We, we had some folks get upset with us a while back and they said, well, we thought you were going to start a church over here, this place. So if we never said anything about starting a church over there, well, they were upset. We thought you would. We never said we would. We never, never even looked over there, never even concert, considered it. Well, we really thought you would, but... There's no need to be upset over something that was never going to be. Nobody ever said. Who, Who promised you that? And besides that, you don't deserve any of it. If it's something from God, do you understand the concept of grace?
1: Yes.
0: Grace means it's a gift you didn't earn it you don't deserve it how many understand everything from God comes to us by grace which means come on say it out loud it means I don't deserve it I don't deserve it I get to enjoy some things I get but I don't deserve them well you worked hard You, you deserve no no In fact, I need to give you some scripture. Go to the book of Luke. Hold your place here. We're not done. Luke 17 and 8. I'm looking at the complete English version. Luke 17 and 8. Well, let's back up to verse uh, 7 then. It says, if a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, would you come in and say, welcome, come on in and sit down and have something to eat? Jesus said, verse 8, no, you wouldn't say that. You'd say, fix me something to eat, get ready and serve me so I can have a meal. Later on, you can eat and drink. Why? Because they work for them. Right. Servants don't deserve special thanks for doing what they're supposed to do. I'm quoting Jesus. Jesus. Servants don't deserve special thanks for doing what they're supposed to do. I mean, bless people's hearts, they, they just grew up wrong. They were taught wrong. They won't pass, there's people who won't pass you a pencil. They'll hold on to the other end <laughs> and say, was there something you wanted to say? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You should be thankful, but you shouldn't require response and acknowledgement and appreciation for everything you do because right. you don't deserve it that's right. nor do I verse 10 that's how it should be with you when you've done all you should you just say we're servants we have simply done our duty Amen. thinking somebody owes you something will mess up your life. It'll open the door for the devil to deceive you. And you don't have to understand, you don't have to discern and see things in the spirit when you lose your joy, when you lose your peace. You're mad, you're bitter, you're hurt. You're wrong. No matter what they did, I'm not saying everything they did was right. But no matter what they did, you're wrong now. Because you think somebody owes you something. Now you've made it impossible for them or God to be gracious to you. I found when it comes to other people, it's a really good policy I, I endeavor to practice. When it comes to other people doing things for me, I expect nothing and appreciate everything. It keeps me happy. And if they don't do something they should have done, I'm not depressed. I wasn't expecting it anyway. Right? And if they do do something, yay. Right? I'm happy because they did expect nothing. Now, when it comes to God, I'm expecting a lot of things. Right? And he can use whoever he wants and however he wants, but you must never get your eyes on somebody. That's right. And I'm expecting something from them, and get it built up in your mind. Oh, they're going to do this. Well, oh, of course they're going to do this. There's no way they're not going to do this. Well, they may not do it. That's right. Then where are you? Amen. Depressed. <laughs> well, they forgot my birthday. Can you believe it? They forgot my. <laughs> birthday. How do you forget somebody? Like you never have forgotten anybody's something. That's being a hypocrite. Isn't it? I want you to come on practice. Help me out. Say it out loud. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. (laughs) You can receive it. you You can be blessed. You can enjoy it. But you don't deserve it. It is not owed to you. Nothing God does for us is owed to us. It's a gift for which we should be thankful. Matthew 20, look at this. Oh man, look at the time. Yeah, don't look at the time. Actually, excuse me, don't. <laughs> Matthew 20 is the account of the uh, Jesus told about the individuals in the marketplace that were standing around because they had no work. And the owner of the vineyard came and hired some at the beginning of the day, and then hired some in the middle of the day, and then hired some at the very end. And, and the Bible said in, in Matthew 20 and verse 8, that when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their hire beginning from the last to the first. Verse 9, And when they were hired, the one about the 11th hour, he gave every man a penny. Now that doesn't sound like much, but it's, it was a day's wage. And when the first came, they supposed. Do you see this? Watch out about supposing, <laughs> assuming, presum- They supposed they should have received more. They decided. Well, look at there. Guy worked one hour, got paid for all day. We're well, we gonna get more. Whoo! We're gonna get more. So they're already planning how to spend the extra money but they likewise received what their contract agreed what they had agreed on the penny verse 11 and when they had received it they murmured against the goodman of the house they are talking behind his back they're being disrespectful they're causing strife can you see this why what has he done to them who told them they were going to get more what? They what? They supposed. They supposed. They assumed. They presumed. Verse 12. They said these last just were one hour. You've made them equal to us. But you've borne the burden in the heat of the day. He answered them. Friend, I do you no wrong. Didn't we agree? Didn't you agree with me? For that amount of money? Take what what's yours and go your way. I will give to this last Even as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with my own? Is your eye evil because I'm good? He was just giving the other guy extra. But that didn't mean that he owed these guys something else. Come on, can you see this? Why did Jesus tell this story? This is how God is. This is how he is. He said, is it not lawful for me to do what I will with my own? Could Ahab have responded a different way? What should he have said? Well, it's his vineyard. Right? Naboth's vineyard. If he don't want to sell it, he don't want to sell it. And if he had faith, he could say, well, he could change his mind next week or next month. Or he could respect the word of God and not try To get it away from him. And say the Lord give me something better. That's how faith thinks. Faith helps you overcome covetousness. Faith will help you to overcome. I don't have to covet their stuff. God will give me my own. Right? (laughs) I don't have to try to get theirs. God will give me better. Better for me. But this supposing. This presuming, this assuming it's evil. And it's based on this covetousness. Now go back to 1 Kings and we'll see if we can complete this. 1 Kings 21. Ahab lay down on the bed. Turned away his face. Would eat no bread, wouldn't eat. Verse 5, Jezebel. His wife came. Let me just say this. (laughs) What are y'all laughing about? You don't even know what I'm going to say yet. (laughs) I don't know of a single reference in the whole Bible to the spirit of Jezebel. People have built entire doctrines on it. And, and on these campaigns to get the spirit of Jezebel out of the church <laughs> I know of not one verse <laughs> in order for something to be scriptural you need at least A right right Jezebel, she's an evil woman. But that doesn't mean there's a spirit of Jezebel in the church. That's a fabrication, a creation of man. Beware what you get sucked into. Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said, Why are you so sad? And you won't eat baby?" And Ahab said, Naboth want to give me his, his vineyard? give me his vineyard? What? Maybe I didn't hear you. Because he's laying on the bed. Is that right? And he's, God's face turned and said, Naboth would, would sell me his vineyard. Naboth wouldn't sell you his vineyard. Uh-uh. <laughs> Naboth wouldn't now, why am I talking about this? What, what are we looking at? What are we looking at? Covetousness, Covetousness which is the love of money and things. And it is, it's not innocent. It's not okay. It is a root of all kinds of evil. Evil. He said, I told him, I'll pay you for it. I'll give you, I'll give you a better one. He said, "No, no, no, I'm no." <laughs> I heard Dr. Ken Stewart from Tulsa, Oklahoma, years ago. He said this. I thought it was excellent. He said, "Don't pet powders. Don't pet powders. You're actually encouraging them." To yield to wrong spirits. Don't. Say it out loud. Don't pet powders. Including me. (laughs) Verse 7. She said. Baby. You're the king. You're the king. What do you mean. You wouldn't give you. Don't you govern the kingdom of Israel. You get up. You you eat something. You'll be happy. I'll get you that vineyard. Uh, I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. A root of all kinds of evil. Keep going. She wrote letters in Ahab's name. Sealed them with his seal. Sent to the elders and to the nobles that were in his city dwelling with Naboth. She wrote in the letter, she said, proclaim a fast, set Naboth on high among the people. And then set two men, sons of Belial, before him to bear witness to lie and say, you blaspheme God, blaspheme the king, then take him out and stone him that he may die. Now here's a tactic of the enemy. He pumps you up before he takes you out. Verse 11, the men of his city... Elders of the nobles, they did what Jezebel sent them to do. In the letters that she wrote, verse 12, they proclaimed a fast. They set Naboth on high among the people. And in these two men, children of the devil, they came and said, I heard Naboth blaspheme God, lied, just lied. Another one said, yeah, I heard it too. In the mouth of two witnesses, something was established. In the presence of the people, Naboth blasphemed God and the king. And boy, they, they stirred up the crowd and they carried him out of the city and stoned him with stones that he died. Is this evil? Yes. This is evil. Why is this going on? Because Ahab wanted that vineyard. Keep going. They sent to Jezebel saying Naboth is stoned and dead. It came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Ahab, get up. Go get your vineyard. Naboth the Jezreelite, that he refused to give you for that fair price. He's not alive. He's dead. Go get your vineyard. It came to pass when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up, went down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. He's looking where he's going to put his garden where his herbs, his flowers, his trees. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria. He's in the vineyard of Naboth. This is a word of knowledge. Tell him where he is right now. He's gone down there to possess it. And this is what you say to him. thus says the Lord, have you killed? Have you taken possession? Let's just stop right there. Did Ahab throw a rock? Uh Uh-uh. But the Lord holds him personally responsible. Is that right? He knew what his wife was doing. He knew she was using his name. He knew she was using his his seal, his signet ring. He knew she was up to no good. He didn't care how he got it. As long as he got it. Is this a root of all kinds of evil? It's not what you have, it's how you get it. You remember Abraham said when the king of Sodom offered to give him all the stuff, he said, no, I'm not taking a shoelace from you unless you turn around and say, you're the one that made me rich. In other words, only God's going to be able to say that, right? And people are not going to be able to say, you made me rich. He wouldn't take a dime from him. Does it matter how things come? And how you get your money, and you're still, oh, yeah. it matters much more than the money itself. Yeah. The ends does not justify the means. Well, if it if it turns out, all's well that ends well. Uh-uh. Not with God. The way you got there is at least as important as getting there. And uh He said to him, he said, you you tell him in the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth because they stoned him and left him out there and dogs came, they're going to lick your blood, even yours. And amazingly, if you read the end of the chapter, Ahab repented. (laughs) And God said, look how he humbles himself before me. This evil is not going to happen in his day. It's going to happen in the next generation. Is that amazing or is that amazing? And yet, when he was mortally wounded in battle, and they'd brought the chariot back, guess where they wound up parking it? In Naboth's vineyard, and the dogs licked his blood. The uh, what the Lord says is going to come to pass. But is this evil? Lying, stealing, false witness, murder, theft, huh? So him pouting and feeling sorry for himself is not okay. It's not to be petted. It's not to be coddled. This is an evil thing going on here. Somebody say, I refuse to be like that. Can you handle a no? Will we grow up and learn how not to make all these plans that nobody told us were going to happen. Now, if the Lord told you, well, that's one thing. But a lot of times, he didn't tell people. They just made stuff up. And they decide, I deserve this. I I should have this. Of course they're going to do this for me. Everybody should know. You're about to come face to face with something. And it's going to reveal some things about you. You're so much better off to not expect things from people and look to people and assume and presume. When it comes to people, expect nothing. Be thankful for everything. You're not depressed when they don't do it. Not upset, not mad. And you're happy if they do. You just stay happy all the time. It's great. Try (laughs) it.